Welcome to Just Bricks, the all-new basketball podcast brought to you by Sporting News in collaboration with Kick It Forward. I'm Josh Gallup, your host, and I love basketball. And we thought, why not bring you an updated uh, podcast and video podcast every single week with the latest from the NBA and the NBL. And we've got a very special guest to kick off the first episode of Just Bricks, and that's Benyam Kidane. Now, he's the editor of NBA Australia, and he's the first person we thought of when we thought of who do we want to speak to to give us the latest update on exactly what's happening across our own national competition and, of course, the NBA itself. Uh, Benyam, how are you going? I'm doing good, my man. It's good to, uh, good to be with you. We're going to have some fun. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. It's going to be... A big summer. It's very hot in Perth right now. You're over in Sydney, but uh, it's definitely heating up in the NBA and also the NBL as well. Um, let's get straight to it. In NBA so far, the Nuggets are coming off a championship. Where do they sit for you as far as their chance to go back-to-back in 2023-24? I think you've got to put some respect on the champs. They're, you know, they're right up the top of the Western <laughs> Conference. They don't have Jamal Murray at the moment. And somehow Nikola Jokic looks like he's getting better at basketball, even if he maybe doesn't love it. <laughs> I think that's a load of shit, though. Like, every time you hear ESPN or these, these clips from House of Highlights, like, mate, this guy doesn't even care about basketball. I think he's, like, the ultimate poker face with basketball. Like, shows you getting himself getting written off in a terrible coloured T-shirt in a Serbian club or, like, on a horseback where a horse is barely even be able to support him. Um, but in reality, I, I have a feeling he's working pretty hard in the gym in some Serbian gym. And I, I think every time we see him, it's just a bit of a mind game. Like, I admit he probably doesn't like him as much as maybe some of the lifers. I, I don't know about that. But I, I think he's extremely competitive. And we've seen that already when he's rocking up in the gym, looks like he's been sleeping all summer. But he's clearly got better at things and he's dominating play. They're 10-5 and five right now. They actually had a loss today against Orlando. But they're still sort of poised to find their groove with a couple of new ins and outs. And they've, they're still the team to beat, I think. Hey, I'm calling the bluff. I, I think he's been in the Ivan Drago training center in the, uh, in the summer because he's come back even better than last season. And, and like I said, they don't have Jamal Murray, but they still look like they're a well-oiled machine. I love Michael Porter Jr. and his willingness or unwillingness to pass the ball to anybody. Just shoot it. Let that thing go. Uh, I, re- I really like this Nuggets team. I, I think they're right there at the top uh, and should be the favorites. But there's a lot of other teams that got better as well. So the competition, I think, is going to be a lot more intense this season. I like the Boston Celtics a lot. They probably look like the best team so far. The Bucks have been a little up and down, but they're probably a team that will be there at the, uh, at the business end of the season. But in terms of the Western Conference, I think it's the younger teams that are going to come through and maybe cause a little bit more trouble for the Nuggets than, uh, than maybe some of the teams we thought, like the Clippers or the Suns. I think it's the, the Thunder and the Wolves and these kind of teams that you maybe don't want to see come playoff time. Yeah, there's, there's also an unpredictability with the young guys like at OKC. Obviously, we're biased that Josh Giddy and uh, – or sorry, rather, Josh Giddy's there. We, we want him to do well. And they seem to be clicking despite adding pieces and losing a couple of pieces. But they have this young core that you'd really hate to face off, as you said, in a playoff run. What have you made of the Boston Celtics? You mentioned them before. They've added Drew Holiday. They got rid of uh, White and they're – they seem to be humming. They had a big win over the Bucks today, so which a bit of a sort of grudge match, obviously, with the, the trades that happened in this offseason. What have you thought about them and how they've improved so far? Well, they what they gave up in like bench quality, they really got back in just that front six that they have is probably the best first six out of any team, I think. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, that's your foundation. But the defense gets better with Porzingis and Drew Holiday, but so does the three-point shooting. And I think out of all the teams, it's only, you know, we're not even a month into the season, but... So far, out of all the teams that we're kind of looking at as contenders, they probably look like the most in-rhythm team so far. 
I'm not one to hand out the title in, in November, but if I had to, that's probably the team you're probably leaning towards. What about you? When you look at this team, like, does that kind of look like a championship team to you? I think Porzingis has been the biggest thing because I was really high on him. Whenever there's a big white dude from Latvia or like a random country that other than that moment I haven't really delved too much into, I always get a bit excited. When when he came into the NBA and the Knicks picked him up, I, I was so pumped because, they, oh, there's this seven-foot-two unicorn that can jack threes and block. Um, and then he sort of he got had injury trouble, sort of bounced around the league. You know, we thought he'd find it in Dallas, showed what he could do in Washington, and now he's in the spotlight with a major club that um, – He's actually getting prime time, prime time, uh, a prime time slot for games, and we're actually remembering. All right, this guy's like an offensive juggernaut, and now he's got guys around him who are so good and defenders around him. Um, I'm excited to see what he can do, especially if they get better. To, they get better together as the season goes on. I guess it's just hopefully he doesn't get injured because from what we've seen, he's a big lumbering guy. Yes, he's got a bit more weight on him nowadays, but if he gets injured, that probably really throws a spanner in the works for the Celtics because they've sort of gone all in for this season. Yeah, look, he's, I think he's shaking the Tingus Pingus allegations. This is the perfect <laughs> situation for him. He's not the number one guy. He's not the number two guy. Like, he's maybe their fourth best player or at least third best player. That's the perfect situation for him. Uh, I, like, I like Paul Zingas as a player, but not when a whole lot is being asked of him. If you're just asking him to run the floor, crash the glass, maybe shoot a couple of threes, all of a sudden, he's now maybe got like the third or fourth best defensive option on him. He looks a whole lot better. And I think we're already seeing that pretty early in the season. He's crashing the offensive glass, getting putbacks. Like, this guy's not being asked to do a whole lot. And within that, he now all of a sudden looks like on any given night, he can be their best player, which is probably the best case uh, scenario for them. If, if you're having a night where he looks like the best guy on the court, then you'll probably win him by 30 or 40, which is kind of what we saw against the Bucks. What have you made of the two teams that probably have surprised people so far this year? You've got the Philadelphia 76ers without James Harden, and then you've got an Anthony Edwards-led Timberwolves uh, playing extremely well to start the season, probably better than a lot of us expected. Uh, who's impressed you more? What, what have you made of them? Both of these guys have impressed me a lot. I, I'm a big Tyrese Maxey fan. I'm the president of the Tyrese Maxey fan club. But I've got to salute Anthony Edwards because not only has he become their best player, like he looks like the alpha on the floor. Like You've got Carl anthony Towns, you've got Rudy Gobert, two you know, reasonably experienced guys, but this is very much his team. He's taken the last shot in the fourth quarter, He's the one that has the ball in his hands and, you know, the confidence that he kind of radiates uh, to the rest of the team. Like, he's, he's very much a get on my back. I got this kind of guy. Uh, and we're, we're seeing that. They're number one in the Western Conference uh, already. But salute to Tyrese Maxey because, I mean, myself included, when James Harden got traded, I was like, mm, maybe is this, you know, do the Sixers maybe tear this down and, and start again? Does Joel Embiid want to trade? Literally a game later, it was like, all right, we got like the best duo you know, in, the, in the Eastern Conference, the highest scoring duo. Um, I think the 76ers will be right there at the, uh, at the end of the season. Did you, I guess, kind of expect them to be this good straight away after the Harden trade? No, not at all. Like, I, I'm, I'm an idiot. I don't know anything. So <laughs> I, um, I think I was always high on what Harden could do. But the other thing is, like, I feel like Maxi, every opportunity he's got has come from someone not performing or opting out. So he originally got the starting spot or the, the every single game sort of starting spot when Ben Simmons decided to bail from playing pretty much completely. And then and then this time he gets the elevator. He became sort of the third person in, in line last year. 
and you know and sort of fringe all-star guy maybe was in the conversation and then this year he's taken that on you know he's dropping 50 point games so he's clearly the exact opposite of those sort of guys where he's just so happy to be there he's 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 come in he's extremely hungry doc rivers talks about how much how like he's never really had a bad day with him as far as attitude or anything like um, I suppose from everyone within the organization, it isn't a surprise, but I didn't, I didn't expect it. I'm stoked for him. We were in, we were in Philadelphia with the Philadelphia Eagle, Eagles about a month or two ago. And uh, it was actually pretty interesting talking to the fans there because we, we would ask them what they think of Ben Simmons and they <laughs> That's were dangerous. still angry. They were just like, F Ben Simmons, like screw that guy. Like they were, they were still so angry. So it doesn't surprise me that a guy like this who's – probably a fan favorite now um, and is thriving in a team where he's getting an opportunity and everyone's buying in. It feels like everyone's buying in. And don't sleep on the role players they got either. Like they, it was like you get James Harden out of there and it's a lot of draft picks and a lot of role players, but guys like Nick Batum, Covington, these are guys that you need in championship type scenarios. Guys that can knock down threes, guys that can play make. Like the depth the Sixers now have if this Tyrese Maxey stuff can hold for the rest of the season, which I, I genuinely think it will, I think he's going to be an all-star. He could potentially be an all-NBA player as well. Uh, if that can stick and the role players are able to contribute, all of a sudden, it's not just Boston and Milwaukee. Like, the 76ers can realistically put themselves in the, in the championship window. And, and salute to Nick Nurse as well. He's got these guys playing defense. They're playing way faster than they played last season. James Harden's, you know, a little bit of a ball stopper. He wants that half-court kind of, kind of game. Now they're getting up and down the floor. Tyrese Maxey's pushing the pace, and they have that balance now where Joel's in the post. He's still one of the most productive pick-and-roll players, one of the most productive post players. But now all of a sudden, the Sixers are getting a lot of buckets in a lot of different ways. And I think that really bodes well when you're trying to win a championship, that you can match styles with a lot of different, different teams. And, and they've got that just alone in that, in that duo with, uh, with Embiid and Maxey. Yeah, completely agree. It's, um, it'll be one to watch for sure. Now, the in-season tournament... It's been underway. It's it's going pretty well. They've changed up the court, so we know as a viewer when a tournament game's been played versus a regular season game. Even though they're all counted into the regular season, what have you made of the in-season tournament? Has it been a success for you? Hey, you can't miss the in-season tournament. It, it is an assault on the <laughs> eyes when you when you turn on the TV from the court to the jerseys. Like I think the league's done a good job of really letting you know the in-season tournament is on. And I don't know, guys are starting to take it seriously. Like I think initially. There was a lot of confusion around what this actually was, what the games meant. Now we're starting to see, you know, who's going to maybe progress through to the knockout stages. And I think that's when it'll really start to heat up. Once the teams get to Vegas as well for the semis and the finals, that's when I think it'll really, you know, start to make a lot of sense. But, you know, the question is, what's $500,000 to an NBA player? To a lot of guys, nothing. But (laughs) Damian Lillard made a great point uh, last week where he was saying, you know, you look down the roster and there's guys were fighting for their lives on, uh, on, the, on these contracts. $500,000 means a lot to, to, to a guy that's on a two-way or a guy who's on the end of the bench. So the stakes are pretty high for a lot of guys and also just bragging rights. Like guys want to compete. Guys want to win when there's something on the line. So I don't know. I was, I was skeptical about the playing tournament initially. I came around almost immediately. I think I'm doing the same with the, uh, with the in-season tournament. What about you? Are, you? are you a fan? Are you excited about it? What's, what, what's different about it to you? Or anything that gets me through sort of the mid-season malaise, like I'm, I'm into it. I like the, I like the courts. I think they're really cool. Um, I like the fact that guys are actually playing hard. I think there was that thing of do you just like Oprah Winfrey or Bill Gates pick up two dollars when she they see the on the street? Do these guys, these guys, yeah, they're really rich, but they also have a point of pride. And they also know the value of money. A lot of them, um, so they're not going to let five hundred thousand dollars just slip through their fingers because, especially like when you are these extended roster guys, like Austin. 
um, raves or whatever like two years ago or a year ago, he'd be pretty keen to get that extra 500k as well. So I think they're taking it seriously. I think it's a good a good way to spice up the regular season. And it's like reminded me of the NBL used to have this tournament. I don't think they ran it that long, but there was a huge cash prize uh, in between seasons. They had thing like a four-point shot and a, a, a things like that. And I remember Peter Crawford, we knew him. He was a former boomer, played, went to the Olympics. He was just talking about how much like the, the 18,000 they got each meant. Like from an NBL standpoint, they were like, oh, I feel so f- rich. This is going to be unbelievable. Forget the name of the tournament. They should bring that back in the NBL. But I think for these guys, it doesn't matter how rich you are, there's a point of pride and 500K US is still 500K. And, and look, these games matter too. Like they count as regular season games. They're still fighting uh, for playoff seeding, you know, no matter how early in the season uh, it may be. And the fact that they can maybe just make games matter a little early because between opening night and like Christmas, which is kind of like the real first tentpole, like they are, you know, maybe sometimes just going through the motions. So the fact that they're keeping guys on the floor the whole way through too, like point differential matters. So like the end of games isn't maybe just emptying the bench. Even if you are losing by a lot, like they've still got the main guys out on the floor. Like, so the games, you know, are pretty high scoring as well. Uh, and, you know, sometimes maybe a bit closer as well because the point differential uh, does kind of play into it. But I'm, I'm excited for, as I said, like the semi and the final. Once we, once we get into, into Vegas and it does kind of have maybe a little bit more of a spectacle behind it, I think that's, that's when maybe the casual fan will really start to, start to pay attention. But so far, so good. I'm a fan. Especially when there's such a sort of a lapse in sport in Australia during this period. So if we can have something to get around to to go watch like a spectacle, I'm all for it. Uh, let's go for the rookies right now. There's sort of a two a two man race so far in the season. We've got Victor Wembanyama, the San Antonio Frenchman, who's been an absolute, I guess, revelation or not even a revelation. Like everyone's starting to figure out who the hell this guy is because every everything he does on court, whether it's good or bad, it seems to be a new thing you've never seen before. And it just looks ridiculous. It looks amazing. He's so tall, so long, but so coordinated at so, such a young age. And the other guy, Chet Holmgren, OKC, uh, he had to sit out a year because of injury, and he's playing on a team very well. 17 points and seven and a half rebounds a game, I believe. Um, in a team that's now third in the in the West, second or third in the West. So, um, yeah, it's a two-person race right now for the Rookie of the Year. And you'd, you'd argue if Chet was in, in any other year, it'd be a pretty much a clear favourite. Hey man, the hype is with Wembenyama, but like low key, Chet Holmgren has been better <laughs> to start this season. He's been incredible uh, for the Thunder, and I like both ends as well. With that's what we knew about both these guys was that they were going to come in and play defense right away. But we saw Chet have that you know 30, 35 point game against the Warriors, hit that big shot uh, to send it to OT, and and like he's a real ceiling raiser for this Oklahoma City Thunder team, who was you know good and maybe a little surprising last season. Now we're talking about them as like genuinely being like a playoff contender. Uh, in the West. I'm, I'm a big Chet Holmgren fan. I, lo- I love what he can do uh, on both ends of the floor. But Victor Wembenyama, I've just not seen anything like this before. And like my barometer for this is like my friends who don't watch any basketball are asking me about Victor Wembenyama. Like the cut through <laughs> is crazy. Like he's kind of transcending the game just because the alienness of this is like nothing we've ever seen before. It's, it, it's pretty crazy. It's also nuts. They played in the under-19 Worlds uh, against each other. So they were in the final, France v Team USA. And you know, they were so long and skinny and they were just both teams had this one guy that was gigantic going at each other head-to-head. And to think now how much their games have changed. So now they're, they're so fluid with their threes. They they dominate still defensively despite being really thin. Like I think that's always an issue, an issue going into the NBA. That's what a lot of 
their critics were saying going before going in, it's like, oh, these guys are so skinny, they get thrown around. It doesn't really matter. They, they still get blo- blocks. They're really competitive at the rim. Um, and they're still having an impact, especially Chet, as we've already said, like they're competing already. Um, I was actually in France last year around the period Victor was there and I was trying to get tickets to the game to watch him. And it was the one time we couldn't actually watch him because they were, they were having the FIBA window, which is happening right now for the NBL in Australia. Um, they were away in some other country playing Lithuania and I couldn't watch him. And it was the one week, I, and I, it could have been my LeBron moment to see LeBron in high school. It could have seen Victor Wembanyama. Couldn't even buy a T-shirt. The team was so <laughs> unorganized. They, they hadn't even printed T-shirts. They kept saying, oh, no, they're coming soon in a couple of months. You have one year to capitalize on this guy. They couldn't even make a T-shirt. So um, it's great to see that he's, cut, he's transitioned well into the NBA, even if the team's not doing that great. Uh, definitely feels like they've got a keeper. And I can't wait just to see how these guys develop and hopefully they stay, stay healthy. And more importantly, we're going to see these guys play each other a lot. Like, they're both in the Western Conference. They're going to see each other four times a year. They're probably going to meet in the playoffs at some point. You know, maybe not this year. I don't think the Spurs will be anywhere anywhere near that. But down the track, like, this is kind of set up for, like, the next great big man rivalry. We've seen Embiid and Jokic be at, like, the top of MVP conversations for the past couple of years. But these guys never play against each other. They're in opposite conferences. We've seen them kind of, whether you want to call it, ducking each other or, or not necessarily matching up against each other. Chet and Wemby will have no choice. We will see these guys playing each other a lot uh, over the years. So that's, that's what I'm most excited about is that like, we're going to get a lot of one-on-one battles between these two. Dwap Wraith, so the Perth product, playing really well. He was, you know, he was in the, in, signed with Portland, gets cut, comes back, has a 17-point game, started today for the first time in a win over Utah. Um, such a crazy story. Picked up basketball late. Um, seems to have risen at every level he's gone to. Um, it's just a great story to see now. He's actually producing at the NBA level. Hey, shout out to Dwight Brief, man. Like, he just needed an opportunity. This guy's, you know, played summer league over the past couple of seasons. Uh, we've seen what he's done, obviously, in the NBL, and, and, and he's been at it in Europe for a while. But, you know, he was, you know, maybe unlucky to get waived on the eve of the season. He goes down to the G League and just puts up numbers and kind of just makes it impossible to ignore for the Trailblazers. He had 37. 37 in that game, and they're yeah. like, Fire, I guess we have to give him something. <laughs> and look, Rob Williams' injury, obviously, unfortunate for him. Uh, but that opened up an opportunity for Dwop. And it's like, he doesn't even need minutes to be productive. The second he gets into games, he's letting threes fly. He's crashing the glass. Like, he's just making the most of the opportunities he's been given. He got his first start, uh, you know, today as well. Uh, and, and again, was productive. DeAndre Ayton's right there next to him. There's some games where Dwop looks a lot better than, than DeAndre Ayton. It's not like there's a consistency uh, with Ayton. So there's definitely minutes, definitely as a backup, but I think those minutes are only going to go up uh, because Dwop's a competitive guy. He, he, he's out there working whenever he's on the floor and, and, and making things happen. So I'm excited for him, man. I think Portland's a really nice situation for him. Uh, this is a young kind of team that you know, maybe isn't going to win a whole lot of games, but there's opportunities there for him to, to really kind of make his mark in the, uh, in the league. So it's, uh, it's a watch out for him for sure. It's crazy how much he's improved his shot as well. Like now, after LSU, he's really developed into almost a 40% three-point threat. And you know how much, how useful that is. Uh, Dyson Daniels, the other youngster to look at, it, uh, to keep an eye on. Obviously, um, some of the senior NBA Australians have sort of fallen out of favour. What have you made of Daniels' year so far? He's he's had some really big, impactful games. Well, that was the thing with Dyson last season. There, there was just no consistency in his minutes, so it was really hard for him to find a rhythm. Uh, whereas this year, he's up to about 28 minutes per game. He started most of the games uh, for the Pelicans and. Look, they have a lot of guys out there that can score the ball. Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson. That's not what Dyson's there to do. He's, he's there to make plays. He's there to get rebounds. He's there to, you know, hustle on the defensive side of the floor, which he's always been, 
you know, ready to do at the NBA level. And, you know, with that length and size and athleticism, he's just a make things happen guy uh, on that side of the floor. So we've kind of seen that from the early returns uh, this season. You know, the, the numbers may not necessarily pop off the page, but whenever Dyson's on the court, he's just making things happen on, uh, on both ends. I'm, I'm excited to see how his role kind of develops uh, through this season because this is a good Pelicans team. Like, I think they'll be really competitive uh, this season. Whether he's the starter the whole way throughout, uh, you know, I, I think he maybe, you know, will get a little bit inconsistency again, maybe with the minutes this year. But he's, he's looked great so far. Uh, Paddy Mills, he's fallen out of favour. He hasn't, uh, hasn't played a game this year. What have you made of him this year? What does it mean for the Boomers? There was an article uh, recently written that is saying that they need to, make, need to make a hard call on him not playing. I mean, we, we always have guys outside the NBA in the team, and even a guy that's put in so much to the Boomers program. I, I don't think it's that harsh. We shouldn't go that far. But what, what's the road for him look like for the rest of the year? I don't care if Paddy doesn't play a minute in the NBA this season. He starts for the Boomers. <laughs> let's, let's not forget about FIBA Paddy and what he's done for that program. It's, uh, uh, it's a tough situation, though, because the Hawks, I mean, they traded for him after he was traded a couple of times. And you've got Deontay Murray. You've got Trey Young. They've got young guys out there that they're trying to develop. Um, it's just a weird situation for Patty because I, I, I kind of do feel like there's maybe a, a contending team that might maybe swoop in at the deadline and try and get a guy like Patty Mills that can come in uh, and get a few shots up and get some, uh, get some quick buckets because we know he can still do that. He can knock down three threes in three minutes and maybe you know, flip a quarter for you. But it just kind of seems like the fit in Atlanta isn't great, but it is a long season. We've only seen a few weeks so far. Maybe that changes around for him in Atlanta. He can crack into that rotation, but I wouldn't be surprised if there's maybe a few other teams that are looking at him picking up DMP CDs and uh, you know, might want to maybe uh, make a swoop for him. Let's take a look at some of the Australians now, not in the NBA. So there's been such a strong push through the NBA Global Academy, the AIS, to produce this talent and outside of that as well over the last couple of years. The big one right now is Tyrese Proctor with Duke. Now he's in a lot of uh, early mock drafts for the next year. Uh, we, we've always sort of known how good he would, could be and potentially coming out of the NBA Global Academy, they knew he'd be good. But it feels like in his sophomore season, he's really taken the reins and had some really standout uh, a game so far. Hey man, Tyrese is off to a, off to a great start with Duke uh, and he's flying up the, uh, up the draft boards as well. I think uh, Sam Vecini the, of The Athletic had him at number eight. Uh, Kyle Irving of The Sporting News had him at number four. So he's gone from maybe being a peripheral lottery pick to you know kind of being a nailed on top 10 guy. And uh, we saw him had that great game for Duke this week, 22 points. And the thing I like about Tyrese Proctor is he just has that like natural feel for the game, like the flow and rhythm uh, in which he plays, you know, as a as a scorer and a playmaker, like he just looks really comfortable uh, out there. I'm excited to see him, you know, more for for Duke this season, but especially at the NBA level because he does kind of have a lot in his game that you're like, oh, that's a pro move. Like that's that's going to translate uh, to the NBA. What, what have you made of him so far in uh, in his brief time at uh, at Duke? You like what you see from him? Yeah, it's great, and he's such an amazing shooter. But I think what you said, he, he's not necessarily so fast or rushed when he plays. He, as you said, it's the feel. It's the fact he gets to his spots, finds the ball, and 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 seems to, in his second year in particular, make great decisions with it. They seem to be leaning on him a lot more this year, and he's the guy this year. Like the first year, he's figuring it out. He was still really, really young. Like I think he was still one of the youngest guys there, um, and now he's now he's sort of the main man at Duke, and. I hope that just builds and builds and builds over the season until the point we're seeing him in the tournament. He's having a big game, and we know he's got that anchored sort of top 10 spot, which is really hard to move once you're in it. That can potentially grow to a top five even. 
It, look, this is not a strong draft either. Like there is room to climb no. uh, in this uh, in this 2024 draft. So especially when you have the spotlight of Duke as well. Like no matter you know who's on the team, who's coaching the team, like it's still Duke. There's going to be a lot of cameras, a lot of attention. Uh, so if you're doing well, uh, you're under the bright lights of uh, of Cameron Indoor. Like that's going to only do well for your draft stock. A couple others Australians right now. Um, I was looking at Alex Condon. You've got one as well. Firstly, Alex Condon from WA. He went to Florida. He had a heap of interest from Collingwood. There were rumours there was a long-term deal offered him to avoid college, but he wanted to try as like the six foot eleven, um, also can shoot uh, player that's headed to Florida, and he's been good so far. He's playing sort of a six-man role right now and is really tough seems to get better and better and better this is a guy that missed out on the IAS originally then WA win gold and all of a sudden they're offering six guy spots to the AIS ends up over there and he's the one that sort of flourished the most despite uh, outside of Ben Henschel who was in who's now with the Perth Wildcats um, so Alex Connor's playing extremely well for Florida and they're winning games they're four and one uh, and he's a part of that so he's one that Collingwood will be still watching him hoping that he's potentially missing out of the NBA, but he might be another guy that, you know, plays one or two or three years and then the NBA come looking straight away. Yeah, I mean, look, Collingwood you know, could have a gem on their hands down the track, but I don't know, maybe it seems like a situation where he didn't realise how good he actually was when, uh, when he was considering the AFL because from what I've seen from him, he looks great. He, he's got that size. He's, he's, he's so strong, like, under the basket. Um, I, I, I think he's in a good spot there in, uh, in, in Florida yeah. as well. Um, so he's going to be an interesting one because he looks like another guy who's just going to get better and better uh, the more he plays at that, uh, at that level. I'm excited to see him. But uh, the guy who, who's really caught my eye is uh, over in Kansas, Johnny Furphy, playing in a big, big program there. Uh, big 6'9 guy. Uh, but again, super athletic dude. I, I think maybe not for, for next year, the year after. I think he might, uh, might stay a couple of years uh, there in Kansas. But he's another interesting guy. Uh, have you seen much from him uh, so far this season? I haven't seen much of him yet. I did see him. He was uh, blowing up during the NBA games where they, they had all the different academies go at each other. And he really made a name for himself. And I think he probably got that offer off the back of his efforts there. So we were seeing the highlights of him dunking on like five people. I didn't realize he plays more of a three man because he is quite huge and so athletic. So it's great to see that uh, just looking up, he's actually playing on this team in his first year as a freshman. So another one to watch in the years to come. Um, going to the NBL now. Good, only a little bit more time. Uh, Alex Saar, there's talk he might be the number one pick. The Frenchman, he's playing with the Perth Wildcats. He's playing sort of a weird hybrid role. You'd think like a guy of that calibre coming in, especially from, unfortunately, the comparisons with Victor Wembanyama. you think, oh, seven-foot Frenchman, surely he's starting and playing a lot of minutes. But he's super defensive, he plays his role, and he's not afraid of the big moment as well. Uh, what have you made of Saar so far? And is it, do you think the one or two spot in the mock draft is realistic? Yeah, it's a tough spot to be in to be coming in as a similar kind of profile as Wembenyama and being like, oh, are you kind of the same? The thing is, he kind of is. Like, I, I, I'm pretty impressed uh, with Alex Saar. I love what he does defensively. Uh, if you can come in at, at an NBL level, which is, you know, it's, it's not an easy game in the NBL. You're playing against grown men uh, as a 19, 20-year-old uh, and being able to contribute defensively straight away. Uh, and he has a great motor as well. We saw him you know, in the preseason against the G League Ignite guys. Like, he looked like you know, the pro on the floor uh, against those Ignite guys. And then obviously the start he's had uh, with the Wildcats. I, I think he's at least a top three pick uh, in this draft. He really is gaining momentum. Uh, Sam Bassini has him as, as the number one pick in his, uh, his mock draft as well, which I don't, think is, uh, I don't think is crazy. He really fits the profile of what a lot of these teams are looking to do. Having that stretch five, they can shoot the ball, but also play great defense, uh, you know, on switches at the rim as well. He's kind of 
in that Wembenyama mold, which is a tough, you know, kind of box to put put someone in. But he's very much carving out his uh, his own niche here in the uh, in the NBL. I think I think he's got top three written all over him. The other one is uh, Bobby Klintman. He's playing with the Cairns Taipans, the Swedish uh, product. It's currently around twenty one on the ESPN mock draft. He's been really impressive in a team where Cairns they really have to try to get talent. Um, and unique talent and Adam Ford up there has done a great job the last couple of years and he's just fit in really well on both ends of the floor and he's so much bigger than I anticipated. That's a good point. He like I when you hear like six eight, six nine, like you you know how tall that is, but like he almost feels bigger, like he plays bigger than that. Like he's so athletic, mm. he's so aggressive as well going to the rim. Uh, and you see a lot of just pro moves from him. Like he can shoot the ball really well. Again, he's really just that prototypical modern NBA player. Uh, and for a young guy as well, I think he's another guy that's in a really strong position coming out of the Next Stars program that could climb up uh, a lot of draft boards. And you can say the same for, for Alex Tui as well uh, with the Sydney Kings. Maybe raised a few eyebrows, turning, turning down Gonzaga to come and uh, play with the Sydney Kings. But he's another guy that's come in straight away and uh, has looked pretty, uh, pretty good for the Kings. What, what, what have you liked uh, uh, from Tui so far in the NBL? I've loved him looking so comfortable there. Like he's played in different games, he's played different roles where he's been a spot up shooter or there was one game early where he's spinning the lane, dunking on two people. And I didn't know he had that in him. So he's, he's clearly like an NBA level uh, talent athletically. He can shoot the ball really well and he's clearly learning as they go. And the Sydney Kings, they run Galloway and him so often, uh, two very young players and they're winning games. So I think it, he's averaging about 10 points a game right now. He's playing extremely well and he's going to get viewed by a lot of scouts. So there's no reason why he can't climb the rankings a bit as well, especially if the Kings go deep into the postseason. I think he's kind of, uh, he can make his own future right now from playing and he's the sort of guy that seems to be pretty competitive too. So I've really, really liked watching him play in the games I've seen. Uh, Benyam, thanks so much for joining us on Just Bricks. I'm sure we'll have you back over the season. Are you coming to Perth anytime soon? It's like 41 degrees today, yeah, today mate. Hey, man, I've got to get out there. I've never been to Perth. I've never been to that side of the country. I've got to come <laughs> see you guys out there. Shame on you. Shame on you. Thanks so much, Benyam. And thanks for tuning in to Just Bricks for our first episode in what should be a huge summer of basketball. See you soon.